First uh, Peter chapter 4, uh, we can uh, read the end of the chapter there, beginning in verse 12. And uh, we'll read through the chapter and then come back and see what the Lord has for us. And it reads, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter." For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. We've mentioned right the, the background here of this letter written by Peter, probably to a church within Jerusalem, within that area, encouraging Jewish people that have become believers and the difficulty they're going through in being just squeezed and pressed, right? Their own family members have disowned them, their own business partners have cut them off. Uh, everyone that they once held dear has now completely cut them off because they've given up Judaism and now they've embraced Christianity, right? They, this Jesus that they thought was blaspheming the name of God and their tradition and their faith. And not only that, but now Nero, he's cracking down on Christians more and more every day. Uh, to a point that I think it's really, really foreign to us to be able to understand Right? Imagine uh, the NFL draft is coming up. Uh, imagine week one of the Dolphins game that the halftime show would be releasing a few people from Calvary Chapel, Miami with lions and watching Christians being devoured at the halftime show of the football game. That is what Christians in this day and age, this is the suffering that they are going through. Nero, we talked about it, right? He was wigged out pretty crazy. He would get Christians, dip them alive in hot wax, and then light them on fire in his garden. And he would go on his chariot naked around his garden, having Christians lighting up everything around him. So they're being pressed by their own friends, family members, business partners. They're cutting them off. And then also the own government is going against them, basically telling them, hey, just say Caesar is God, and you can worship whatever you want. But Christians would say, no, there's only one God, right? It's the Lord Jesus. Only going to bow down to him. Only going to claim him as my king and as my Lord. And it's remarkable, right? I think I've mentioned a few times in my, my bar for a movie being good or not is character development, character growth, and the story of characters within the movies. And the remarkable growth and development that we see in Peter here. Peter here is saying, hey, don't think it's strange when you're going through a fiery trial as something strange has happened to you. 
Right? This is the same Peter. I know we've looked at it over the past few weeks. In Mark chapter 8, verse 32 and 33, Jesus, he's telling the disciples, hey, I'm going to have to die and resurrect and come back. And Peter pulls him aside and he rebukes Jesus, right? Jesus, this whole dying thing, we, we can't be doing this. This is bad for business. This is bad for publicity. You're the Messiah. Do you know who you are? Do you know what our hope is for you? And then Jesus turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Again, Peter was refusing not even his own suffering, but he was refusing the suffering of his master, the, master, the suffering of his Messiah. I'm sure you remember, right, Luke 22, verse 61 through 62. The Lord looks and looks in down into Peter. And it says there that then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. How Peter, he so did not want to deal with suffering, he didn't even want to be identified with his master was his savior, the one who healed his mother-in-law, the one who paid his taxes, the one who fed him and clothed him for the past three years. He didn't want to go through suffering so badly that he said, I, I don't even know the guy. And family, this should be an encouragement to us because this is what the Holy Spirit is capable of if we completely devote our lives to the Lord. Maybe that's who you are. You're that scaredy cat, right? You're that one, there's a bump in the middle of the night and you're screaming, right? You're crying. We all live in Miami. The cockroach comes out the door and you're just freaking out. It starts flying and you just run out the house. You call the realtor and you say, we're selling this thing, right? Each of us, we have things that we go through, but with the power of the Holy Spirit and being completely devoted to the Lord, that God can do so many incredible things, right? Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised, I love ministry. I really love being in youth ministry. And um, one of the things you kind of miss but you kind of don't is the 24-hour road trips we would take from Miami to Virginia. 24 hours on a bus with 50, 55 people, right? It's fun and it's enjoyable. But one of the things you realize is a lot of kids don't know how to order their own food. A lot of kids. Parents, you got to teach your kids how to order their own food. So I remember one time we were at Chick-fil-A and I just see this kid and he's just staring at the menu and he's just anxious. Everybody else is gone. At first we thought I was a gentleman. Then later on I realized this poor guy's never ordered food in his life. He's never ordered food in his life. So I, I pull up next to him, put my hand on and said, man, don't worry. It's simple. Usually at fast food restaurants, the number one is what they're known for. It's the easy thing. Chick-fil-A, it's a chicken sandwich. I get a chicken sandwich or chicken nuggets. The fries are good. Got to get the cookies and cream milkshake, right? People are going to be going to Chick-fil-A after service. You got to get the cookies and cream milkshake, right? Got to do those things. So he goes, okay, I got it, I got it. So he goes, okay. So he goes up to the person. He makes the order. He's, all, he's shaking, right? I'll get a number two, a spicy chicken sandwich. And he's, he's nervous. He pays. And at the end of all, I see the smile on his face. I did it, right? He's excited. Everything's awesome. He gets his food. He gets to the table. He bites the sandwich and he goes, whoa, this is spicy. <laughs> and I look at him and I go, you ordered the spicy chicken sandwich. How are you surprised that it's spicy? <laughs> and that's basically what Peter's telling us here. He's saying, how can you be surprised that you're going through trials as a believer? This is what you signed up for. This is what you ordered. This is what Christ paid for and you signed up for was suffering. 
right? Our Lord, our master, our forerunner, all he went through was tons and tons and tons of suffering. And now we as followers of Christ, as partakers of Christ, that's what we're going to take on. Some promises from Jesus. I don't see many people with these tattoos on or like, oh, I read this promise in my promise book today. You can turn to John chapter 16, verse 33. Important scriptures for us to know. Scriptures that churches today kind of leave out because our world and our nation is selling really a false gospel that all Jesus wants for us is health, wealth, and happiness. And that's just not the case. In John chapter 16, we get uh, just a great promise from Jesus. And he tells us, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus is promising us, you're going to go through tribulation. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through those seasons when you're in the fire. And there's different reasons we'll look at later on why we're in the fire. Don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised that it's happening. This is what we signed up for. This is what we ordered. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you could turn there if you'd like. You see Paul and he's encouraging his son in the faith, Timothy. Right? Think of how we encourage one another, especially young believers. Man, the Lord loves you. God has plans for you, purposes for you, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, God has so many incredible things in store for your life. Just trust Him. It's an adventure. All these great promises, right? Look at what Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Right? What kind of a good news is that? He's promising Timothy, his son in the faith, hey, if you want to live godly, you will suffer persecution. And if you're here on a Wednesday night, my guess is, my hope is, that your desire is to live godly. You want to live godly. You want to look like Jesus Christ. And the promise to us is that we will suffer persecution. We're going to go through it. So a couple reasons, a couple quotes, a couple scriptures, right? Why should we not think it's strange that we will go through the fire? Why shouldn't that catch us by surprise? Why should we be ready for it? The first reason why is because the enemy hates God and because we love God and we're aligned with him, the enemy's going to hate you. Satan hates you with a passion. And the more you do for the Lord, the more he's going to attack you. The more he's going to be coming at you. Commentator McDonald, he says, Every true child of God soon learns that the Christian life is warfare. The hosts of Satan are committed to hinder and obstruct the work of Christ and to knock the individual soldier, that's you and I, out of combat. And the more effective a believer is for the Lord, the more he will experience the savage attacks of the enemy. The devil does not waste his ammunition on nominal Christians. In our own strength, we're no match for the devil. So the first preparatory command is that we should be continually strengthened in the Lord. 
and in the boundless resources of his might. God's best soldiers are those who are conscious of their own weaknesses and ineffectiveness and who solely rely on him. Right? 1 Corinthians 1.27 tells us God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Our weakness commends itself to the power of his might. Family, is Satan using his ammunition on you? Or is he saying, ah, you're doing a great job by yourself, right? I couldn't, right? Does Satan and the demons walk by you and says, ah, I couldn't have done any better by myself. Just let him rip. Let him ride, right? Or are we actively working for the Lord so that he's trying to take us out? Right? In the NBA, the NFL, and sports, if a player is really great, the opposing team will create a game plan to shut down the star player on that team. They don't look at the 15th guy on the bench and say, hey, how are we going to shut him down, right? He hasn't played in the whole season, but how are we going to shut him down? And we cut the legs off the chair from under him, right? Make the less. No, they don't care about him. That's the last guy they're concerned with. What about us? Are we weakening ourselves enough that Satan says, eh, let him go, let him go? Or are we those who are seeking and desiring to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Shouldn't be surprised when we go through fiery trials because the enemy hates those who serve the Lord. Next reason why we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to go through the fire. We mentioned it earlier because Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our leader, he went through the fire. We could turn to John 15, and there in John 15, verse 18, again, uh, some more in the promised book of Jesus. Maybe we got to write a book, right? It's other promises from Jesus, right? John 15, verse 18 through 20, Jesus tells us, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Again, family, the world's going to hate us because they hated Christ. So again, the question for us is, does the world hate us or does the world love us? Because then it's going to really reveal to you, are you with the world or are you really with the Lord? I encourage you to read First John later on for homework when you get home. Warnings there. Are we really in the world and of it or are we of the Lord? Are we of God? We're going to go through the fire. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus went through the fire. I can imagine he fed them. He gave them free food. He healed them. He did miracles, and they hated him and killed him and murdered him. How much more we, right? I can't heal anyone in and of my own power. I can barely feed my own family, right? How am I going to feed 5,000 people all at once out of my own pocket? And then the very same people would be yelling, crucify him. Crucify him. Let the curse happen on us and on our children, right? Why should we not be surprised? Because if we are really identifying with him, if we're really living like him, they're going to hate us because they hated him. A couple other things we shouldn't be surprised about. Sometimes when we go through a fire, we're surprised because we think we are the only one, right? 
No one's gone through suffering like this. No one else in the history of Christianity has gone through a trial like this. No one's had their marriage like this or their child like this or a mom like this or a son or daughter like this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it warns us no temptation, no trial either has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new. How... Uh, what's the word? How humiliating for Elijah, right? He tells God, God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left, right? He's crying, he's weeping. He's like, dude, I got 7,000 other people. What are you talking about, right? What are you talking about? And the same is true for us. Many times the enemy, he wants to keep us alone and not reaching out to the body of Christ so that he can continue to bully us and keep us in our sin and give us a sorrow that doesn't lead to repentance but that just leads to nothingness that leads to more and more of the sin and the flesh and feeling bad for ourselves but now when we come to the body of Christ you come to find out man lots of people have gone through what I'm going through Lots of people have difficulty in their marriages. Lots of other people were, had difficulty in their season of being single. Lots of other people had difficulty giving up their unsaved friends. Lots of people have gone through miscarriages. Lots of people have struggled with pornography. Lots of people have struggled through these things. And you keep yourself in your own isolated prison. Because of pride, you're saying, I can't share this with anyone else. Lots of people go through depression. Lots of Christians go through suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies. And because of our own pride, we're keeping ourselves in a prison for no reason. Every believer is going through a fire. Don't think it's strange. You're not that different, right? Talked about it last time. We come into church and we think everybody's talking about us. No, everybody's thinking the same thing. Everybody's thinking about how you're talking about them, right? That's what's happening. Same thing with the trials, with the difficult seasons in our lives. Another reason why we shouldn't be surprised when we go through fiery trials is that you learn a whole lot in the trial. You learn a whole lot when you go through suffering. You learn a whole lot through seasons of difficulty, right? I think it's a common saying. You learn a lot more about a team when you go through a loss than when you go through a win. There's a lot more you can go back and fix when you go through a loss than when you go through a win. Even Hebrews 5 verse 8 It gives us a difficult scripture here. It says, though he were a son, speaking of Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So if Jesus learned something, right, through suffering, how much more do we have something to learn through suffering, through trials, right? If we're honest, we really learn what we're made out of when we go through trials and sufferings. We think we're super Christian, we're super saint. Yeah, I love going to church no matter what. I love serving and then, oh, I have indigestion. I can't make it today. I just can't make it, coach, right? Ah, I jam my finger. I, I can't serve today, right? You learn a whole lot about yourself when you go through that suffering. Some of the joys that, and some of the comfort that we should have when we go through trials and suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 There's great hope for us in order to share and encourage others when we go through trials and suffering. If you would turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, the reminder that the body of believers around you, it's a blessing from God to you. It's an incredible blessing. And now when we stay in our pride not wanting to share with anyone or be vulnerable with anyone, 
we're really not tapping into an incredible tool and blessing and benefit to our own lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. We shouldn't be surprised when we go through trials because God may be comforting you with something that then you can comfort someone else when they're going through the same situation that you've been through. And isn't it comforting when someone else has been in the same situation and they come to you and they say, hey, I've been there. I went through that. I went through that. Someone mentioned that young adults are listening to a teaching of Joe Foes, right? And there's a woman, she just lost her husband. And Joe thinks that he did an incredible job comforting her and speaking to her and loving on her. He thinks, man, Lord, I gave her all I got. And then all of a sudden, another woman came in that was a widow. And she says, I know. That's all she had to say. The comfort, the crying, the hug, the tears. That was all the ministry she needed. Just being able to say, I know what you're going through. I have been there and I've seen the grace of God. I've seen the comfort of God. And you can get through this because I was able to get through it by his grace and by his mercy. Oftentimes the trials we go through is so we can encourage other people. That's why we shouldn't be ashamed of our testimony. We shouldn't be ashamed of what God has brought us through and pulled us through. Right? Imagine if... Peter, he goes and he speaks to all his buddies who wrote the Gospels and says, hey, you got to take out all that bad stuff about me, man. You got to cut all that stuff out. Me denying him? You're going to have that in the Gospel? No, man, you got to cut that out, right? We would lose so much of who Peter is and what he's been through. The same is true for us. So many of us, we don't want anyone to know our dark seasons, right? Seasons that we went through trials, whether, as we look at in a moment, they were self-inflicted or they were inflicted by the world. And we think, I can't share anyone that season of darkness, right? They're going to look at me differently. They're not going to like me. They're not going to love me. They're going to let me serve anymore. That's not the case at all, right? We're new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Why should we be encouraged? Why should we not be surprised? Romans chapter 8, verse 35, probably the most comforting verse for us. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the very first thing is, shall tribulation, right? Not even tribulation separates us from the love of Christ. In fact, what we'll see in a moment is it links us and it brings us nearer to Christ than almost anything else in this life. Because when we go through sufferings, we get to go through what he went through. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and in verse 13, that's the very first thing that Peter says. Again, remember this is a man that didn't want to partake of the sufferings of Christ. Now he's telling us don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials. Why? Because they try us. They reveal what we're really made out of. They will clean us. They'll purify us. But then in verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. 
Family, there's a very sobering truth here to verse 13. It's telling us to the extent that we identify with his suffering, we get to identify with his glory. To the extent that we identify with his suffering, we get to identify with his glory. The word here is to the same measure, the same portion, the same one cup or two cups or two quarts that we partake of his suffering, we will be able to have the same measure or portion or one cup or two cup of his glory. That's what we need to be looking forward to even in the middle of the suffering, right? There was that meme that went around for a bit. If you didn't love me at my worst, can't love me at my best, right? That's basically what this is warning us about. If we're not willing to go through suffering for Christ, you're not going to be able to go through the glory of Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, turn there, very important scripture, a big warning. Another one of the great promises of Jesus, right? Mark chapter 8, verse 38 reads, For whoever is ashamed of me... And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with holy angels. That's a sobering verse to us, family. If we are just running away from the fiery trial, if we're just running away from the sufferings of Christ at all costs, there's a great warning to us because if we're ashamed of him and we're ashamed of his suffering, Then when he returns or when we see him face to face in heaven, perhaps he's going to be ashamed of us as well. A.R. Falsetti says, if we will not bear suffering for Christ now, we must bear eternal sufferings hereafter. If we're not joined with him now, he can't enjoy him for the rest of eternity. And we need to be reminded, we're not doing God a favor when we suffer for him or with him. We're not doing more for him than he's already done for us. If you remember, he's the one who first identified with us. He's the one who first identified with our suffering, stepping down from heaven, from perfection, from the throne room of God, and deciding to identify with us, becoming a man, and partaking of our sin upon the cross and on our suffering. He identified with us first. How dare we say, I don't want to identify with that. I want to identify with the health, wealth, the free bread, the free healing. That's no different than the Jewish people who a little bit later on said, crucify him, crucify him. Very similar, right? In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, we see Paul and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. When we go through his sufferings, we get to be identified with him. And when you really love someone... When you really look up to them, you'll take any identifying factor that you can take with them. If you really love them, right? Anyone that we love, anyone that we look up to, we enjoy being identified with them. Remember, people used to meet someone famous and they would say, I'm never washing this hand, right? Never washing this hat. Can you sign this t-shirt? You just want to identify with that person. I would always crack up on social media, right? They have those generators that probably steal all your information. But you give them a picture of yourself and it tells you which actor you look most like, right? And if it's someone handsome, someone beautiful, you're like, oh yeah. But when Pee Wee Herman shows up, right? Or Mr. Bean, you're like, I don't want to identify with this guy, right? Give me someone handsome. Yeah, yeah, I want to identify with them. And that should be the same thing for us with the Lord. Isn't it a joy to be able to identify with our Lord and Savior? 
Isn't it beautiful to be able to identify with the Son of God, with the Creator of heaven and earth, with the Word that became flesh? Isn't it a joy to be able to be mentioned anywhere near His name? Right? Sometimes it's a running joke in pastors' conferences that pastors sitting in the conference, they just want to hear their name mentioned from the pulpit, right? They just want to be identified with the speaker up there. And again, how desperately do we want to be identified with Christ? Or are we doing the opposite? Are we just so desperate to be identified with this world? We weren't made for that. You were not created. If you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, you were not created to be identified with this world. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a peculiar people. God has done everything within us to stick out, to be different. Salt and light, right? Light and darkness, it's utter difference. We're trying to shut down all the light when we're going to sleep. Any one light, some people here, they, they have trouble sleeping. So any one light in the room and they're like going crazy, right? Where is it? Got to turn it off. That's who we are meant to be. We are meant to be identified with him. Verse 14, it gives us good news. It says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, right, the Mount of the Beatitudes, it tells us, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? Wouldn't you love to be identified? Man, you are the Isaiah of our time. You're the Jeremiah of our time, right? The Daniel of our time. We would love that, but realize that almost all these guys were put to death. They were cut in two. They were ripped apart. They were impaled. Man, you're like the Peter of our time. Yeah, crucified upside down, right? If you, we really want to identify with them, we got to go with it fully. I was into a podcast, and also true, I was talking about a guy who was an agnostic, and he had beef with his family because they were celebrating Christmas, right? He's saying, hey, if, we got, if we're going down this road, we got to go through it full on. Can't be celebrating Christmas. The whole point of Christmas is because of Jesus. But then what are you going to replace it with? Right? There's nothing to replace it with, really. So again, for us, are we identifying with the Lord? Are we blessed? I don't know how I went on that tangent. But yeah, again, that we be identified with the Lord. Because we'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. We should rejoice and exceedingly glad. Because that's what it was. Re- identifying with the prophets, right? You can't take it halfway. Ah, thank God it finally came back, right? Can't take it halfway. You can't say, I identify with this, right? We call that a fair weather fan, right? We all know that person, the Dolphins, they're losing like crazy. I don't like them at all. Dolphins are doing great. They got their jersey, they got their hat, they got their car, they got everything, right? It's a fair-weather fan. We shouldn't be fair-weather Christians. I want to identify with Christ just when it's what blesses me. No, the blessing is if we are reproached for the name of Christ. Why? Because it shows you are actually living like him. That's why you're blessed. If you're actually reproached for his name, you're made fun of, you're cut down, you're treated differently because of your love for Jesus Christ, because of your stance against sin, 
you're blessed. doesn't say you're blessed if you're complicit in sin. You're not blessed if you allow sin in your home. You're not blessed if you allow sin to run rampant with your friends, with your family, with your children. There's no blessings in God's word for that. But it says if you are reviled and persecuted and they say all types of evil things against you falsely, right, with a bunch of haters, there's no love in this place. That sound familiar? Why can't you love me? Why can't you accept me? Why do you hate me? If they're speaking evil against you falsely because of your stance for Christ, rejoice. Be exceedingly glad because you are looking like your Savior. You are actually following him and looking like his word. Again, it tells us here the world will blaspheme him, but we should be glorifying him. The world, they're going to blaspheme the name of Christ. They're going to disrespect him. They're going to speak about him in an insulting way. But we should be glorifying him. We should be worshiping him, adoring him, praising him highly because of all that he's done for us. Because he is worthy of our praises. So again, if the prophets that we hold dear to, if they were persecuted, if they were sawn into, what should we expect for us? The people we emulate, our heroes of the faith, almost every single one of them was put to death because they were a hero of the faith. We should be the same. Verse 15 and 16 here, now there's a warning to us. Not all suffering is because you look like Jesus. Not all suffering is because you're following his word. Not all suffering is because you are the model of Jesus. Verse 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Right, we got them. Oh yeah, I don't want to, I'm not going to suffer as a murderer. As a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Again, not all suffering is because you look like Jesus. I think we've all been in seasons of our life that we're suffering just because we're a jerk. And now you're suffering because of it. Nobody wants to be around you. No one wants to spend time with you. Not because you look like Jesus, but just because you're a very mean person, right? A murderer. Are we cutting people down? Do we have that hatred in our heart that we're wishing people would be out of our lives or dead? You may suffer for that. A thief, right? Oh, my boss just hates me. He just hates me because I'm a Christian and I share the gospel. No, your boss hates you because you're stealing time from him all the time. Because you're not working all that much. And that's why you're suffering. That's why you got fired. Not because you love Jesus, but because you were stealing from him. You're stealing from the time there, right? As an evildoer. We've talked about this recently. No one at church loves me. No one at church likes me. No, it's because you're doing a lot of evil and God's word kind of tells them not to fellowship with evildoers, right? Oh, people hate me. People don't like me. No, you're suffering because of what you've sown. Jesus and Satan get blamed for a whole lot of things that they've never done, right? God gets blamed for so much. Satan gets blamed for so much. Oftentimes, we're just reaping what we've sown. And now check this, right? Could you imagine a church that has people who are busy buddies in other people's matters? Only a couple of us are laughing, right? Some of us, we took that to heart, right? Could you imagine a church like this 2,000 years ago and Peter's having to warn them, hey, if you're a busy buddy in other people's matters, you will suffer. And it ain't because of Jesus. It's because you're up in everybody's business, right? The warning there, the wording there is that you're a bishop over other people's matters. 
That's not our job. That's not our call. Each of us have enough to deal with. Each of us have enough to deal with within our own families, within our own homes, to sit at home at dinner and play right Monday morning quarterback on the people around us and their lives. What's going on, right? The sauce that's going on at Calvary Chapel, Miami, right? Have you seen the pastor's new car? It's a rental. Someone hit me at a red light, right? Whatever the case may be. <laughs> I remember one time, Pastor Raz, no one has said that to me, but if you did, I guess I'll just the Lord. Uh, my dad, one time, someone lent him a Porsche for his birthday. And someone was literally going around saying, Pastor Raz is taking from the tithe because he's got a new Porsche, right? Then he returned it, and then what do you say? Not much, right? So again, people, they're busy buddies in other people's matters. Can you believe so-and-so? Can you believe this? Can you believe that? Man, you have so much to worry about on your own. I have so much to worry about on my own. Zach is like the worst guy in Zach's life, right? That's the honest truth in each and every one of us. Our worst enemy is that man or the woman in the mirror. But we just busy ourselves with other people's problems to deflect the one thing we can deal with. The one thing we can fix because we're trying to make everyone around us look worse and worse so we feel better about ourselves. Hey, you're going to suffer for that. As a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's matters, you will suffer for that, but it's not because of your love for Christ. It's not because you look like a Christian. But instead, in verse 16, if you are suffering because you're a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be down, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now again, Peter is not a masochist here. Peter's not saying in the midst of suffering, we're glorifying God, saying, God, thank you for this suffering, right? Lord, thank you for the pain that I'm in. Lord, thank you that I lost my best friend or I lost my job because I didn't want to lie or cheat, right? No, we glorify God when we go through the suffering. We don't glorify God because of the suffering. We can be honest. We should pray, Lord, right, as Jesus did, deliver me from this, right? Can this cup pass from me? Deliver me from the evil one. That's the prayers we should be praying. But now when we go through that suffering, as Christ did, we'll look at that in a moment. Man, you're glorifying the Lord. When people see you handle tough things in life with joy, with love, with passion for the Lord, you get a good reputation. People look at that and they say, wow, this person is worshiping the Lord. This person is praising the Lord highly. This guy is raising the name of the Lord. Again, the difference is there. If you're suffering because of sin, you deserve it and you're bringing shame to the name of Jesus Christ. But if you're suffering because of the name of Jesus Christ, you're bringing him glory out of your suffering. And you deserve it, but it's because you look like Christ. It's a good deserving, right? Verse 17 and 18, it says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Again, Peter, he's giving a pow-pow to this church. He's saying, hey, guys, I know that there are apparently murderers, thieves, evildoers, and busybodies within this church. So Peter's bringing his own fire into the life of these believers. And he's saying, time has come for judgment to begin in God's own house. It begins with us first. It's a common theme throughout Scripture that God disciplines those who He loves. God chastens those who He loves. That's the person that He really cares about. If you're not getting away with the sin that you're in, 
It's not because people hate you or people judge you. It's because God loves you. Sometimes we get busted for all of these different sins and we think that people around me hate me. They're judging me. They have me on the scope. They're always looking at me. They're always looking at what I'm doing. No, that is God's love for you. That he's not allowing you to get away with everything that you're doing. That is his love. He disciplines those who he loves. And many times this discipline, this fire purifies the church and also multiplies the church. God does a cleaning work there, right? If you've ever had a barbecue, one of the easiest and best ways to clean that grill is to put the fire all the way up after all the meat's out, right? Don't do all the meat's in there, right? After all the meat's out, after everything's out, you put all the fire up, you wait 15 minutes, then you come back and you can scrub it all down. It's all, it's all done. It's all put away, right? Scrub it out. Everything's burned up to a crisp. And then it's clean, ready to use. Put some oil on it. And then you're good for next time. But if you don't really care about your grill, you just use it and you leave the gunk there and you leave the gunk there and you leave the gunk there and you leave the gunk there, you leave the gunk there. And then what happens when you have a party and everybody's looking at you for the meat, everybody's looking at you, what happens? Grease fire, right? And now all of a sudden your barbecue looks like the altars we've been talking about in Exodus, right? And now you're sweating, you're struggling, you're freaking out. All the meat, the 20 people at your house, they're all freaking out, scared. Because you didn't care about that grill. You had no love for that grill. You left the gunk, the junk, the grease in there. And that's what the Lord does with us. He cares about us too much to leave that grease and that gunk and all that garbage in there. So at times, he turns up the fire. Charles Spurgeon, he says, It is right for judgment to begin at the house of God. There's equity in it. For Christians profess to be better than others, and so they ought to be. They say they're regenerate, so they ought to be regenerate. They say that they are a holy people separated unto Christ, so they ought to be holy and separated from sinners as he was. Family, it's only right that judgment starts in the house of God, that we look like him, that we love him, that we're separate from sin, that we're saying we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And there's joy in this. Our worst fire, the worst fire that we will have to deal with, it's in this life. It's with our sin. It's with our trials, with our persecutions. For the unbeliever, this is the best that they got. This is the coolest days, the best vacations, the best weather is in this life. Because all of eternity for them is going to be separated from God in the fires of hell. For us... This is the worst we have to deal with. Our own sin, being persecuted, suffering. Hey, we'll, we'll have to deal with that. But then we get to spend eternity with the Lord where it's perfect. And be reminded, everyone goes through suffering. Believer and non-believer. Male and female, rich and poor. Everyone goes through suffering. Oftentimes, suffering reminds us that this is not our home. Something's not right about this place, right? Every once in a while we see tragedy on the news and a young child has drowned or has died, has been shot. Talking with some police officers or paramedics and the hardest calls are the ones that it's a small child, right? And it reminds you something's off in this world. This isn't right. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. This isn't the right order. And it's a reminder to us and to this world that this world, it's not right. This world is not our home. And the only one who will make it right, the only one who's going to put things in order 
is Jesus Christ and him crucified. One day he will come and he will put all things back in order. The question for us, are we going to be a part of his order? Or are we going to be cut to the side because we were a part of the disorder, right? That's the question for us. He's going to separate everything. He's going to separate the wheat and the chaff, our good works and our bad works, our selfish works and our selfless works. He's going to separate everything. So when he comes to put things in order, are we going to be a part of that? Are we going to get to be those kings, those queens that we've talked about? Are you going to be over 10 cities or 5 cities? Hey, I got Hawaii. Hey, I got Florida, right? Or are you going to be burning in hell for all of eternity, separated from Christ? Verse 18 reminds us that miracles happen each and every day. It says, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Family, any day that someone turns to the Lord... Any day that someone finally sees the love of Christ and the sin in their life and they say, Lord, take me. They confess with their mouth. They believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. That's a miracle. That is a miracle for us today. We should be excited about that. We should be talking about that with people. Miracles have happened in each and every one of our lives. And it starts with our salvation in Jesus Christ Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? We talked about a second ago. They will appear in hell for all of eternity. There's a few parables in Scripture that they're kind of tough, right? Especially since in the U.S. we've been sort of brainwashed that God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. So when you hear a parable about Jesus, right? And all of a sudden he talks about taking the servant or taking those men and now casting them into eternal fire for all of eternity. People are like, wait, what? That's the same Jesus? And yes, we get the option today to accept them as Lord and Savior. But if we don't, you're demanding to always be the enemy of God. That's what you're demanding to be. That's what you're saying. This is who I am and I will never change. Right? Humanity killed God himself. We killed God himself. Jesus Christ. And now he offers us a way to salvation. He offers us a way to be forgiven of killing God. He gives us a way to be forgiven of our sins, to be forgiven of all of our evil things, past, present, and future. And now some people will say, no, I killed God and I don't care. That's what they're saying. I killed the president, I killed this, and I don't even care. I don't care if he gives me a pardon or amnesty. I don't want it. And those are the people that are sent to hell for all of eternity. Finally, verse 19, it says, Therefore... Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Family, if we're going through suffering, and as we saw, we're going to go through it, right? If we're really identifying with Christ, if we're really living like Christ, trust in the Lord. Put it in the bank and trust in the Lord. That's what he's saying here, right? The word they're committing their souls to him, it's a banking term. Back in the day, you would really have to trust whatever bank you were in. Because of the internet, you don't even think about it. Like, oh, you need all my routing number, everything. Yeah, here you go, right? But in this day and age, it was a huge deal to go to a bank and give them your money. It took an incredible amount of trust. And here Peter's telling us, hey, trust the Lord. Commit your soul to him in doing good because he's worthy to be trusted. Trust in him as to a faithful creator. You're going through suffering. Don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the cost. Trust in the Lord. Trust that he is good and perfect. That his will for us is good and perfect. 
1 Peter 2, verse 23, again, reminding us of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the first one, the one that suffered before any of us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. But it's also interesting that in heaven, he's going to be the only one with a body marked with suffering, reminding us for all of eternity of what he went through for us. He's going to keep his scars. He's going to keep those holes. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, he didn't revile. He didn't curse them. He didn't say, hey, I'll see you in three days. Preparate, right? He didn't say anything like that. He didn't say anything like that. He stayed quiet, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He trusted in the Lord, right? Luke 23, verse 46, what does Jesus say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Lord, this season of suffering, this agony I'm going through, God, I trust in you. I trust in you no matter what's happening. David Guziki says, trusting in him as to a faithful creator. Much of the agony that we put ourselves through in times of trial and suffering has to do with our own disregard of God's faithfulness. Disregard of his place as creator. He is our sovereign creator with the right to do as he pleases. Yet he is faithful and will only do what is ultimately best for us. And trust in him. Not only is he faithful, right? It's good to have a faithful man, but if they got no power, their faithfulness only gives you so much, right? But he is a faithful creator. The one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created all the universe, and he is faithful. Place your trust in him. As you're going through the agony, as you're going through the pain and the trial, trust in him. Lord, may your perfect work, may your purifying work happen in my life. Lord, maybe there's sin that you're trying to rip out of me or root out of me, right? Lord, maybe you're trying to help me identify with you more. Lord, maybe you're trying to show me what Christ went through so I could be more like Jesus. So again, family, it's foreign to us. Christians being martyred in halftime shows. Christians being martyred in the White House. That's what that would look like today. But that we'd be ready for it. We'd be prepared. We'd be prepared for it in the workplace. As parents, we'd be getting our kids ready for it, that they wouldn't be striving so much to be liked or identified with this world and with their friendships, but that they would be strengthened and identifying with Christ and with the body of Christ that he's given us. We should be ready for the suffering. We shouldn't be surprised, right? Hey, this is who we are. This is what we signed up for. You want heaven for all of eternity? You want glory for all of eternity? Can I have trials in this life?